Welcome back to Where To Literary. I'm your host, Kenny. And I'm Jonathan. And today, we're bringing you exactly what you'd expect, which is the follow-up to Guns Akimbo, a Daniel Radcliffe feature film, Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Is it Yankovic or is it Yankovic? I... I always said Yankovic, but I think it's Yankovic. I think I'm not really sure. I think that's what said in the movie. Because I had to think about it, my brain erased everything we saw in the movie as far as his name is concerned, and now I'm confused. Understandable. Let's just roll with it. The Weird Al Yankovic story. Talk about an excellent biography of the man himself, the parody master. He was a legend. He was the best there was. And it's just, it's a shame he was taken so early. It really was. It really was. You know, I truly believe the movie did, you know, did its best to do justice to his story. You know, it, there was a lot of rumors around him, so it's hard to pick what was accurate. And I think they did a decent job of that. I do too. I think that this whole movie was a great depiction of the trials and tribulations he experienced throughout his life. The man was an absolute legend. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant at his craft. So let's jump right into it and talk about this excellent original songmaker, Weird Al Yankovic. I mean, the man only produced original music. It was some of the best I've heard. The movie opens right in the middle of the story, you know, at a rather low point in Al's life after it. A drunken escapade leads them to be in the hospital near death. But this is what revitalized him. You know, he'd come off some really major upset heartbreak and gets back into it because of this. And it's a good framing device, I thought, for the movie to start here and then jump backwards. Yeah, I would agree that giving us this brief introduction to Al's gradual collapse over the wild success of his career to the point of where he was concerned about his career crumbling beneath him that we're given this moment of him having almost ruined himself and then having an epiphany that led to yet another stellar hit but more on that later yes we will get back to that first we jump all the way back to his time as a child you know when he's growing up listening to dr demento on the radio you know he We really get a good look at his life at this time. You know, his father is kind of cold and harsh, just talks about working at the factory and not really understanding his son or, you know, what he, who he truly is. Kind of comes across straight evil, you know? In some ways, yeah. He's very, you know, he's a villain a bit, but I get that he could be misunderstood. We don't see enough of him or how he got to this point, but he, you know, I'd call CPS, you know. That yeah. Be a bit much. No, that's no. Yeah, I would agree. It, it reaches a point where you're a little worried about Al's safety. And just to kind of cover his youth in full real quickly, it's clear that his parents want what they believe is best for him, but is not what is actually best for him. And as he listens to his favorite host on the radio, he's inspired to come up with his own ideas, his own songs. And when he sings a rendition of Amazing Grace as Amazing Grapes, his dad is like, 
uh-uh, you are not throwing that blasphemy around in this house and tries to stomp on it right then and there, right but before. Sh- you know, we're getting to see the kind of sharp religious upbringing he had to deal with that he managed to, you know, overcome and, you know, grow to become a, an amazing musician despite it. Yeah. And it was all because of a traveling salesman who shows up with an accordion. Which I hope that, you know, because of this movie, that salesman gets his due. He was ruthlessly beaten by Al's father. That man did not deserve that. No, he did not. It was it was a little rough, honestly. Watching that unfold, I was like, wow. Wow, he is just, he's going for it. He's just, yep, still punching him. Mm. Oh, he's he's going to kill this man. That, that's where this is headed, isn't it? And I love that Al's mom comes into the room and is like, what are you doing? And doesn't do pretty much anything else as far as trying to stop what's happening. She just kind of lets it go. You almost have to wonder if she had interrupted, it would have turned on her. Yeah, that's a little dark, but I agree. That does kind of give the impression that, you know, it's like, don't get involved if you don't want to get involved, you know. But that accordion gets bought al's mom's like i'ma buy it for you it's got to be our secret you your father's out for a walk right now so we're not gonna we're not gonna worry about him but you start playing that in secret there's a point later where this gets brought up and i'm just gonna bring it up now because it comes full circle anyway eventually al's dad does find out about this accordion okay and al claims that he used to practice in his closet Now, they live a simple-looking home, and I just can't imagine that an accordion would be able to stay quiet enough in a house like that and not be heard by his dad years before. I mean, when he gets found out, it's just like, how did you hide that? It's an accordion. Those things make so much sound, even when you start to gently fold them. It's like, Correct. And then... You have to imagine the beautiful music he was probably creating would just flood the house. How do you ignore that? Exactly. And that's the only part of this movie that seems to be like a misnomer. Like what happened there? How did they pretend like this wasn't something his dad was going to figure out well ahead of time? But I mean, that is really probably the biggest fabrication of this film. It's one of, yes, I would agree with that. But to cover act one, we really get an idea of the beginnings of Al in his youth and teenage years where he's kind of getting a handle on just exactly what a master of music he is but it's shameful just how awful he's made to feel about himself i mean his, for what he loves his dad destroyed his accordion in front of him with a lot of the same brutality he used against that traveling salesman that man had a lot of anger and hate in his heart i mean Based on what I saw, I wouldn't be surprised if he did turn into the Hulk, you know? He was, he had the anger to become big and green and mean. I could see that. I'm glad, you know, that was something Al was able to eventually get away from, you know? As we see after, like, you know, he goes up to a party and kind of shows himself to his friends. His father destroys his accordion and almost, you know, recreably destroys his relationship with the son and drives him away yep he pretty much abandoned home at that point and left to 
pursue his passion and his dreams. He told his dad that he was going to become the best there was. And boy, did he. From here, we jump ahead to his college years when he, you know, gets the band together, finally admitting to what it is that, you know, he dreams about. And they're encouraging. It's, you know, great to have that kind of encouraging friends in life. Truly. They were very much like, Al, you got to give it a shot. Just, you know, if you want to make songs and write new lyrics about existing songs, you just got to go ahead and do it. See what you can come up with. And Al's looking around the room. The song on the radio starts playing My Sharona by The Knack. And somehow Bologna just... See, I always called it baloney. That's the way in my youth it was always said. I'd agree with that. It was the sign of the times we grew up in. Yeah, and Bologna, that's new to me. But not since I heard of My Bologna back when, you know, Al released that. So that is where we get a taste of his quick wit and immediate realization that my Sharona can quickly become my Bologna and then bam, you've got yourself a premium parody song. And that is where it all kicks off. That's where Al was like, I'm going to be a parody writer for now. From here, with the encouragement of his friends, they proceed to a bus station bathroom, which I believe is a bit of a fabrication. You know, it is factual that he did record it in a bathroom but he claims to not know which one but at the same time as we all know the acoustics in a bathroom can be outstanding oh yeah they can make some real real good resonation it's a solid place for music so they record that session right there in the bathroom and head off to the scotty brothers where they're like you gotta pitch it you gotta see if you can get your song out on the radio and who we tony scotty is just telling Al straight, this ain't going to cut it. This is no good. And then his brother chimes in. Oh, okay. Yeah. From here, Will Forte really lays into Al. Tell him how he will never succeed at this. And, you know, quite some truthful, but, you know, hateful, hurtful things. And at it's... the same time, you know, looking at it from the end we know what he's trying to do works so we don't i don't understand why they have this mindset and i'm just thankful that it wasn't able to discourage al from trying indeed and i love that tony the whole time is just like hey take it easy you're being a little you're being a little too rough here like that that's enough you're making fun of you're making fun of him okay and he just keeps going and it's like some serious reverse psychology, but it works. Ooh, I didn't think of it like that. Maybe that was the intention. It was a reverse psychology to encourage him to keep going. Because he does, like you said. From here, his friends go to a bar to attempt to play the show live. And you can see the stage fright in Al, but with the encouragement from his friends, he gets out there. And instead of thinking my Bologna, as we anticipate, he instead comes up with I Love Rocky Road, an amazing ode to a delicious ice cream. Truly, like, on the fly, comes up with this, and then his apartment roommates, his roommates, suddenly band. become his band in this moment. They hop on drums, hop on guitar, hop on bass, and start playing this amazing rendition of I Love Rocky Road which it's just 
immediately a hit. The heckler in in the audience, otherwise known as Pat Oswalt, is moved to tears over this song. He can't believe it. And Dr. Demento, who's played by one of my personal favorites, Rain Wilson, is in the background watching this all unfold and recognizing the amazing talent in front of him as he waits for the show to finish before approaching him with a wonderful proposition. Correct. Don't we all just want our childhood hero to come give us the offer of a lifetime and take us away? 100%. Keanu Reeves, I am waiting for you, sir, whenever you're ready. The things I learn about you every day, sir. Hey, he is one of the most wholesome people in the entire world. And who wouldn't want to be like that? Who wouldn't want to learn from the master? That's fair. I can see where you're coming from. No. From here, Dr. Demento sweeps Al away, take him to, you know, one of his, like, famous house parties. And I mean famous. You have everybody who's anybody there in that day and age. You know, yep. This one in particular, we see Pee Wee Herman, Tiny Tim, Alice Cooper, Andy Warhol, Salvador Dali, Alice Cooper, the magnificent Gallagher. You know, we have Elvira in the back of the scene. It's just outstanding collection of people. And Elton John, John Denver, and John Deacon, who is one of my you know, personal favorite members of Queen, which, you know, is understandable why he's there. He is the inspiration behind Weird Al coming up with Another One Rides the Bus. As we see the evolution of his skill before this crowd you know the moved to tears just impressed by his quick wit yeah if wolfman jack hadn't really kind of goaded al into coming up with a song on the spot basically wolfman jack gives dr demento this hard eye of like yeah i know good talent when i see it and this guy in front of you it ain't him and dr demento's like excuse me i know talent when i see it and you're mistaken, sir. And that's when he challenges him on the spot to come up with this new song right then and there. And that's where Al hits another one rides the bus absolutely perfectly in front of John Deacon even, who, as we know, originally wrote Another One Bites the Dust. So as this whole crowd's moved to tears, like, like Jonathan said, we see Al's whole demeanor just immediately recognize that he is indeed hot shit. And when John Deacon is like, hey, Queen's going to be playing a show next month at a little spot called Live Aid, and we'd love for you to play your song on stage with us. Al was like, hard pass. Correct. As we all know, Weird Al turned that down to pursue his own career. At that point, his rising star... A show like Live Aid was just beneath them. And then they promptly exercise their power as, you know, celebrities, if you will, because Dr. Demento is like, you know what, Wolfman Jack and John Deacon, get out of here. And they kick them right out of the party. It's ridiculous. But that is the end of Act One. And to kick off Act Two, we're jettisoned ahead of time right to when Al is already a major music star. Mind you, all of this seems to be happening so fast. It seems like not much time has passed. And, you know, you'd be forgiven for thinking that he didn't have this meteoric rise and it took more time. 
but it was quite surprising just how well he did. Like his music really resonated with the people and just propelled him forward on a path not seen by many. He sits down for an interview with Oprah Winfrey, the Oprah Winfrey. That you've got to be a pretty high level celebrity if you want to have any kind of conversation with Oprah. She's the best for daytime TV. Mind you, this is before she started giving people cars. True. This was before all of the super gift days where you get a and you get a insert blank because it could be anything. You make it up and it probably happened. Very true. As this is being broadcast across all these TVs, somebody very special to Al happens to catch this interview with Oprah and latches on immediately. None other than the ultimate cart none other than the ultimate cartel leader madonna oh shoot that that's a spoiler sorry everybody although again as always if you're listening to this you probably should have watched it by now because we're here to spoil this whole movie for you well definitely and you know truthfully it was just a rumor there is no substantial proof that madonna was the leader of a cartel but i mean I the like history books man they actually say like Madonna was the successor to Pablo Escobar. I understand that, Kenny. But at the same time, where's the proof? You know, where's Madonna on record? We have unsubstantiated rumors. And I understand that movie has to pick, you know, a particular set to tell the story. And we'll get into that later when we, you know, we'd go down the route that I prefer. Because I do feel the movie ignored some, you know, later points in Al's life. All right, fair enough. Continue. So, you know, as you said, Madonna was watching him on TV, really kind of starting to fall for him, seeing, you know, truthfully, we're really seeing the side of her in her eyes of what can he do for her. True. Again, get into later, because, you know, we're then taken to, you know, a scene where, you know, Al really wants to continue to connect with his family and is just put down yet again. So he turns to the Dr. Demento, you know, the true father figure he's always had in his life. And Demento is encouraging him to try and write his own song. To become an yeah. original artist, yeah. You know, the thing he probably truly always wanted to be, but his ideas were too big for that until now. You know, with the help of a little LSD, which we all know just creatively expands our minds. Do we all know that? Do we all? know that i think we do agree that arguably lsd is the creator of some pretty expanded creativity not from personal experience however no never from personal experience of course not and let us tell you this lsd trip that al goes on after dr demento reveals to him that what were they eating was it chips and salsa i think it, or no it was like chips and guacamole but as they're eating this chips and guacamole al's like this tastes kind of funny and Dr. Demento's like, of course it does. There's LSD in it. And he's like, wait a minute, what? And then we go on this wonderful psychotropic journey with Al as he has some of the weirdest visions that ultimately lead to some very profound thoughts about cereal. Which I get it. I've been there. And from here, we're seeing the evolution of his first original song, Eat It. Which is a massive hit. I mean, I still listen to that on occasion. It's, it was a great, 
great original song. It was so good. Just eat it. Eat it. Don't tell me you're full. Just eat it. Don't want no raisin bran. <laughs> I know. From here with this inspiring song, you know, he is finally through with the parodies. And he goes to the Scotty brothers again, who finally are willing to bring him on board. I mean, eat it is a worldwide sensation. And it brings him to Madonna. They finally get to meet. And this deeply moving ro romance is brought to the forefront as they come together, build a relationship. And we can see some of the cogs spinning in their head again as she's trying to get him to make a parody of one of her songs. Because at, up until now, we've learned that every time Weird Al has made a song, there's been what's known as a Yankovic bump. And that's really what Madonna was after. Despite how deeply Al fell for her, she was kind of looking for that all along. But he's done with parodies. He's done with that part of his life and is moving forward, making original songs. Yep. And she praises him for knowing what he wants, but leaves a subtle note that she also knows exactly what she wants. And it's for him to cover one of her songs, you know, parody it, make a little parody song, give it that bump. And Dr. Demento comes clean straight up and is like, listen, Al, Madonna is not good for you, dog. You need to ease up, step back, and reevaluate. But Al is blinded by the love he sees from one such succubus as Madonna. Yeah, Al is locked in on Madonna. It's all that matters to him right now. Right, and then into the relationship, we find out, or rather, Al finds out that Michael Jackson has parodied his Eat It with an all right song titled Beat It. It's catchy, but it just doesn't have the same resonance that yeah. Eat It did. Eat It really carries, and Beat It was like, I but... Apparently, it's super popular out there, and everybody's loving it, and Al loses his cool. This is the beginning. Well, it's actually already started, honestly, but this is like where you see the full-on rage that probably was similar to his father. Correct. You can see his father in him during this time. You also see his downward spiral into drugs and sex and alcohol. Now, I just want to take a moment to talk about the set design for this particular scene where we really see Al lose his cool. You see, they're in a restaurant and he gets a phone call. And this is, you know, back in the day when you had to go to the front of the restaurant to take that call. And he is listening to Tony tell him about the fact that this song has been parodied by Michael Jackson. And when he loses it, he takes that phone and he starts smashing it against the edge of the countertop next to where, you know, the phone handset thing is. But anyways, straight up bashes it into this countertop. And let me tell you, neither the phone nor the countertop looked like it got hurt at all. At all. And you know what? They just don't build them like they used to back in the day. Right? Those things were indestructible. And it shows right in this moment. And you just wish that Things held up like they used to. But getting back on track, he is on a downward spiral. He is hightailing it right into the ground as Madonna is actually really just pumping him full of drink. Right. Madonna is fueling 
Al's downward spiral during this time, constantly feeding him the things that he is addicted to, the drugs and the drinking. And the movie doesn't get into this, but the rumors, I believe, and that seem to really kind of connect some dots that would be part of my rewrite is that Madonna is the one who fed Edith to Michael Jackson, getting him to write the first parody of a Weird Al song to try and encourage Weird Al to get back to his roots and create Madonna's parody. But we'll get into that later. Yeah. During this time, with his rampant drinking, he is barely able to perform. And in fact, before one of his big sets, he gets into an argument with his band. They're having tension. Concert doesn't go well. He's drinking on stage and eventually he storms off, getting his car heading just wildly down the road, which leads to his accident, which is where the movie starts. And now we're caught up, right. so to speak. Yeah, we're back to the beginning. We've come more or less full circle. All the while that this is occurring, Madonna's egging everything on, right? Like he storms off and he's getting ready to just go for a long walk. But she comes along and she's like, wait, babe, you can't leave without your keys. And he's like, thanks. I love you so much. Drunk as a skunk takes off in his car. And that's, you know, that's the reason is Madonna is kind of puppeteering a drunk Al to do everything that causes him to land where he does which is at the beginning of the movie, the scene where he's getting pushed down the hallway of a hospital. There's a bunch of cal calamity going on around him as they're listening to his heartbeat, you know, still rolling, but running out and they get him inside an operating room to start trying to save him before all of a sudden he just flatlines. And then the doctor is revealed to be none other than Lynn manuel Miranda, the excellent man himself and he pronounces al dead on the spot says time of death is and in that moment al springs up from the bed grabbing him by the shirt collar and asks him for a pen and a pad because he just figured out like a surgeon to parody like a virgin correct he is finally ready to parody madonna and in a rush is managed to get the band back together back to the concert where he performs it live for the first time to, you know, rousing applause. All the while still dealing with the fact that he's just gotten out of an accident and seems to be not in the greatest shape, but he presses on like the champion that he is and plays a whole set that includes a second round of him completely spiraling. After Al gets up on stage, does all this, and lands the like a surgeon version of like a virgin it it go it goes well and the next thing we know we find out well earlier on i guess they did kind of give us a little bit of info about pablo escobar being a big big fan right we've had a few allusions to yes that it was well known that pablo escobar is one of al's biggest fans during this period and he shows up out of nowhere. At least it felt like that. Because the next thing you know, Madonna's getting kidnapped. He, oh, they were in the cafe. And they were having a chat. And all of a sudden, Pablo's men show up. And Al goes into this wild fight scene. Just showing off these sick moves. As he 
beats the snot out of a bunch of goons from the cartel. And we're all, mind you, like workers in this diner, which for me, maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. Al was very private about this time in his life. So there's mostly just conjecture. But I thought it was a little suspect that the cook and the bus boy are working for the cartel during this period. But yeah. Al would definitely make Keanu proud of the way he handled himself. Right. All those John Wick moves. In fact, I think he even burns one guy's face on a flat top stove. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, it was bad. But this is where we kind of lead into the finale of Act 2. And it's that Al is now on a mission to find Pablo Escobar and save Madonna. And it turns out the whole thing was just a ruse by Escobar to get Al to come to his 40th birthday party. It wasn't even like a kidnapping for, you know, doing something wrong. It was just that he was trying to get him to come to the birthday party and that he couldn't get his agent to schedule it with him. And it was just the whole thing was ridiculous because Al comes in with these predator style moves, taking out everybody in his path and he's just murdering all the people. And that is not the owl we knew. It's just not him. It may not have been. It may have. We don't ever really know. But it was still an epic fight to watch. I did enjoy this little bit of the movie magic. Now, didn't they say somewhere in his biography that this is information that may or may not have been conspiracy or they just don't have enough evidence to really say that this part's true. They just wanted to do it included in the film because they felt like it really well-rounded his story. That would be correct. Because, you know, he kills Pablo Escobar. And I feel like I remember history going a little differently there. I don't remember it. We'd have to do, you know, a little research. After Al mows down all of Escobar's men, Escobar's like, I, I wasn't trying to keep you here. You can go. I just wanted you to be here for my 40th birthday. And I was like, really? We can just go? And he gets ready to move to Madonna right as Escobar's like, psych, and shoots him right in the chest. You see Al go flying. And next thing you know, Al's getting back up. And what does he reveal? That he's got his platinum record still around his neck. He is still walking around with these big platinum records that we didn't mention earlier, but he's got this necklace of these large platinum records for every time his record went platinum. That's a lot of time saying platinum all at once, but you get the point. And Al had a lot of platinum. He did. And that bullet hit one of those platinum records and stopped cold. And you know that that had to hurt a lot. It's like, I don't care if it's a bullet, not bulletproof vest, like that's still going to hurt regardless. Al gets back up and shoots Escobar and Escobar's gone. And that, is where it all took a big turn. Correct. It's here where Madonna decides that she'd rather pivot. She'd rather take over from Escobar and run his drug cartel. Why rule the music industry when you can rule the world? That was that He's was the not gist. wrong. That was the He's gist. Wrong. I yep. know. And you know, if I was Al, I'd be hard pressed to turn her down. But he does. Because he knows he it's wrong. And he leaves her. And he breaks her heart. And she wildly shoots after him because he knows too much. She's trying to shoot him and kill him. And she does not hit a single shot at all. He's a terrible aim. It was just awful. The whole entire clip was wasted 
It took so long for her to clear it out, too. And not a single one of those bullets hit. He just walked on out without fear. He's just like, forget it. I'm not worried about this because you're not going to hit me. It was ridiculous. How did she take over that cartel? She, how? Well, when you cut the head off the snake, you just turn yourself into the new head and you're good to go. That's a Hydra. No, no, no. Hydra, which I don't think is a Hydra. Is it a Hydra? Is when you cut off the head, another one head spring from it. No. Oh, I guess it is too. You're right. My bad. And that is the end of Act 2, weirdly enough. We get kicked off into Act 3 by Al returning home and to, to actually work in the factory alongside his dad because he, f- he feels like that's the only way he's going to get his, dollar, his dad to be proud of him. And we quickly find out that this whole time, you were just meant to hate the dad in the beginning. Things were going to always turn out for Al and his dad in the end. And they, and they sure show us that when... Al's father turns his entire demeanor around and says, I am proud of you, son. And they go home to, to talk about it. And that's when we get probably the biggest reveal in the film. One, one that I actually really enjoyed. I wasn't expecting so much that his dad is actually Amish. And music like polka wasn't seen too kindly by the Amish community. He wanted to be a musician and an artist anyways. And so he got out there and we learned the history of his dad being somebody who also went on to try and follow his dreams. But unfortunately, his accordion was destroyed, too, when he tried to return to the Amish community and they rejected him and also destroyed his most precious possession. And so... His parents explained at that point that they felt that if they could do anything to try and help him, it would be to prevent him from ever experiencing the same kind of hurt his dad felt. But in turn, one of the earlier lines in the movie that I really enjoyed because of how just absolutely bizarre and harsh it was, was when his mom tells him as a kid that they don't want what's best for him. They don't want him to be happy. They want him to do what they want him to do. <laughs> and I was just like, wow, that's, yep, that's super harsh. And so we we find out that the whole thing was an act of protection. Doesn't make it any better, but it explains a lot. And we learn that it was actually his dad that came up with the idea for Amish Paradise. A really great song. That, and one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's. Very catchy. And that whole entire bit was actually an animated bit. It was uh, really neat to kind of see this story unfold through through the eyes of the sketchbook that his dad had. Here we finally see his parents, you know, open up and accept him. And they want to encourage him to continue his career. Indeed. And it's the help of his father's Amish paradise that gets out to get his band back together and he performs the song it's probably one of his biggest hits and it's here where you know i I take some issue with the direction the movie goes he finally wins an award and you know because there's some rights issue that they didn't want to get into he is instead wins a very specific award for a very specific genre of music and during his acceptance speech, one of Pablo Escobar's men is in the audience and mows him down. Just sitting there ready to go with what I'm 
pretty sure it was a heavy machine gun, but that's fine. Just a guy in the audience with a heavy machine gun. Nobody bats an eye. No big deal. You know, they were just, and I get it. They were amazed by Al on stage. He's got just this bigger than life presence that draws everybody's attention. Really I does. wouldn't notice somebody with a Gatling gun next to me. I, I mean, clearly they were all so just engrossed in his speech. They couldn't look away, and that allowed the assassin to get through. We see Madonna shed a tear in the background. She seems like she's in a hidden booth that's able to see the stage or something, but she tells the guy to take the shot, and he does. And the last thing we see is Al go, no, before the credits start to roll. As all movies do these days, there's always a stinger. And you don't hear it gets a little outlandish. We see Madonna at his grave. She is sad. And we know from some of the interviews she's given that she was sad at the loss of. But his all of a sudden, a hand just shoots up through the dirt, almost like it's turning into a zombie movie which we all know is just a little outlandish. Yeah. Somewhere I heard that Al was a real big fan of the 1976 movie Carrie. And uh-huh. and that's actually a, a reference to a scene that occurs in the movie. And so just a little touch that also, you know, gives us a little idea that maybe Al's actually still out there. Maybe he's still alive. It very well be. I mean, it's an interesting proposition. And- yeah, you know, maybe he's out there hanging out with Elvis. He, he's, he's a legend regardless. Al, you're the best parody writer we've ever known. And we thank you for all the music you provided us. All of those wonderful, wonderful originals. And even those parodies that we forgive you for doing. And I will always remember you for bringing out Eat It First. Always. As far as a little bit of thoughts on on how... We might have written it differently. I do feel that the story of Escobar seems a little outlandish. I think they could have come up with a little bit more of his life story to fill that fill that gap a little bit. Put right. put back some of the reality of Al instead of some of the baseless conjecture. Well, and we know that before we lost him, there were definitely a few more things that he did in his life that the movie did not job and that's where i would have gone down a different route with the story how would you, know, you I, I would have dropped the kidnapping plot but you know we, there's plenty of interviews where escobar talks about his love for weird owl so he can keep that and i would have increased the length of the movie in my opinion i probably would have ended act two at the award show going into act three about you know the last stage of his life okay we know that Pablo's men did attack him at the award show and he nearly died yet again. But there, there is interviews on file where he talks about the bullet that's lodged in his chest that because of this bullet, he can no longer play the accordion. Every time he does, that strain causes it to just move closer to his heart. This, will, this would know, be a great version of that plot. Correct. I mean, it would have been more fun for me to see this, and, you know, and truthfully, it's where I would have gone with the story. Sure. Nothing wrong with where they went. Writing is a very personal nature, and, you know, maybe for the writer of this movie, they just felt that the Weird Al they had known and loved 
died at the award show, which I get because he was never the same after that. You're talking about when he got into his acting career, right? Correct. After being shot, he can no longer sing and play. So instead, he pivots. He takes his love of original thought-provoking music and goes into acting and make, I would say, probably one of the greatest films ever, UHF. Oh, yeah. I forgot about UHF. And that's sad because you're right. It's one of the greatest. It goes on to sweep the awards. And so that's where I would pivot to a really close character study. Like Al doesn't go to the award show and instead is at home. And here's where we get one of, I guess, my favorite theories. Madonna shows up and she reveals it was her who had gone with Michael Jackson, who had encouraged him to make a parody of Al, to create the song Beat It, to try and force Al back into the business so he can give her the yank of Vic bump. Oh, yeah. I would just, for me, some kind of like heartwarming, you know, they would lay it on the table. Al truly loved her, but she was just using him. And because he would just never give her what she wanted, she killed him. And Madonna does it. Yeah. I mean, that's the theory that I always really enjoyed. It would explain the slow police chase down the highway and the fact that she all of a sudden had to serve some community service before she was just allowed to go free. It's a little, little on my opinion, you know? Okay. He dies and she's doing this, but there's never any official connection. That's, that's the route I would have gone. Okay. Okay. I see you. What about instead of Madonna serving community service, it's revealed in a stinger that she was hired by the FBI to take Al down as he was dangerously close to popularizing those accordions. Yeah. I, I do like that one as well. You know, there is, we know that it's on record. The FBI was targeting Hemingway back in the day. Oh, good point. I could see them going after Weird Al. See, there's a lot of different ways that Weird could have ended. And I think the way that the way that those come together could have been just as believable and, and convincing of a, of a story as, as the Pablo Escobar version. It's there's lots of ways that we could have lost Alan and we don't necessarily know which one was true. So I don't know why the why the writer felt like they wanted to choose the Escobar story. But that that's the thing I would probably consider changing first is a different ending, a different act three still including part of the story about his folks and and getting to learn more about them but the the action filled part and and the way that things wrap up with Madonna would have I would have given that a different a different take correct i mean Al touched all of our lives in different ways and you know the way it's written speaks to you know how it, Al touched this specific writer so of course each of us is going to be a little bit different for me, I always love these little theories more than the Escobar one. And, you know, the way Al lived his life, we'll never really know how it all played out. We'll never really know. And that about does it for Weird, the Al Yankovic story. Really, really enjoyed this movie. It was, it was such a gem. Oh, I absolutely loved it. And I love that they credited the movie to Weird Al himself, as if, you know, 
he might still be alive out there writing this just as he is alive in all of our hearts. Or maybe they got a ghostwriter. Maybe. It was it was very good. And if you haven't had a chance to check out Weird, the Al Yankovic story, it's available on Roku. It is a Roku original film, in fact, which honestly, if there is one other thing that I would change about all of this, I would put it in a movie theater. No offense, Roku. Didn't mind watching it on your platform, but this movie deserved the big screen. Really did. I would agree. I mean, it's truly the only way to bring Weird out the light. It really is. Al deserved the big screen for everything he's done for us. But I digress. That's going to have to do it here. I, I have nothing else to add. I would agree. I mean, I think we covered it pretty well. We shared our insights and, and how we would have gone with the story. I think that's a, way to, a good way to cap it off. I agree. So thank you all so much for joining us for this week's episode of We're Too Literary. We had an awesome time talking to you about Weird, the Al Yankovic story, about the legend himself. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it may be, be sure to hit that follow button so you know when every episode drops going forward. We'd love some feedback from you as well. We got our website up, weird2literary.com. Very excited about having that finally up and going. It's basic at the moment, but you can listen to our episodes directly from the website and obviously from wherever you're listening to it from right now. You can also provide us some feedback now too, right through our email, feedback at weird2literary.com. Drop us a line. Let us know what you think so far, how we're doing with the show, and if you're enjoying it, what you're enjoying about it your favorite parts we'd love to hear anything you got for us so be sure to drop us a line and looking forward to next time we look forward to seeing you guys then take care till next time